places that I've never been Seeing things that I may never see again I can't wait to get on the road again Hey everybody and welcome to the Where's Willie podcast. Join me, William Miller, as I travel the country talking to manufacturers of all types about their trials, tribulations, and triumphs in the industry. This show is brought to you by Koganay International America, Inc. Welcome to the Where's Willie podcast, a national manufacturing podcast sponsored by Koganay International America, Inc., a global manufacturer of more than 512,000 components that help miniaturize every device, machine, robotic, and automated process in every industry sector of manufacturing. Today on the Where's Willie podcast, my virtual travels take me to Irving, Texas, to talk with co-founder Alex Carroll of Stand Up Stations. Alex, welcome to the Where's Willie podcast. Hello, thanks for having me. <laughs> All right, so I reached out to you via Instagram because you guys are exploding. And what really intrigued me was not so much the innovation, but I think timing because of what we all got surprised with here in the world. And I think in my mind, you guys are one of the most amazing pivot stories that I've ever seen. So just to give everyone some context for the five people that don't know you yet, you guys have already been featured on Good Morning America, ABC News, CNBC, Sean Hannity, the Dallas Morning News, and now the Where's Willie podcast, the Mecca. <laughs> so I guess, you know, obviously, again, you know, I, you know, was very emotional to you and your wife's story. So for the listeners, I always like to start out with who is Stand Up Stations? Yeah. Oh, well, thanks for having us. We're excited to be on. I think Stand Up Stations was formed really from the pandemic, right? So we own a sports agency called Toss Up Events that we started. My wife and I, Kelsey, started three years ago. And when the pandemic hit, you know, we had spent three years building this business up. And then on March 12th, 13th, right when the NBA canceled their season, we lost all of our business, had to furlough all of our employees, and live events just ended. Yeah. I mean, it was dramatic, right? If you're on the event side of the world, I mean, it was over. At that moment, we said, okay, what are we going to do? <laughs> How are we going to first like feed our family, right? Like Kelsey and I have two kids. We just had to let all of our employees go. You know, what are we going to do next? And I did what everyone should do, right? And marry a really smart wife that's a lot smarter than I am. Mm-hmm. And she came up with a great idea and she said, hey, when events do come back, customized hand sanitizer stations and just sanitizer stations in general, they're going to be a thing, mm-hmm. right? We were already in the event and we were already in the event industry. So we knew that just the new protocols that were going to come into place, all these things were going to be a factor. So I did, you know, what I was kind of trained to do, right? Okay. I've got these vendors. I've already got these relationships. How can we create a hand sanitizer station with just our skill set and the vendors that we already work with? So that's when we started on the process of like, what are we going to call it? What's the product going to be? I would say stand-up stations didn't necessarily form right then, right? We were just more of like, how do we make a sanitizer station with our previous company, Toss-Up Events? So yeah, I think that was a long-winded answer to your question of like, we started there with the prototype and then it kind of evolved into stand-up stations. Again, I want to go back to my awe. You just mentioned March 13th of this year. Yeah. April, May, June, July. Uh, (laughs) So I can't even, you know, most people when they have an idea, right, or they a moment of innovation, they think, okay, we're going to go out and try this because this hasn't been done before. 
Yeah. So to your point, you married a smart wife, so you get no credit. She does. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, hand sanitizers, they are everywhere. You know, I, I travel a lot, you know, around the world. So I've always seen them before the pandemic. You're going to the airport, you got the little automated machine. So yeah. how did you then, I guess, take the idea to say, hey, we know that there's the actual machines are there. And then how do you go from you know, becoming a distributor or supplier of those here in the U.S. to now, to your point, it's more than just a pivot on an idea. You're now a manufacturer. You guys have more yeah. than one model of these. So can you kind of just talk about in the four months of a dramatic pivot to now be a manufacturer? I guess, you know, the first step was what? Taking an existing machine and saying, hey, how can we make this targeted to, you know, market for industry or events or, you know, company logos and things like that to now you're, I'm sure, voice of the customer and, hey, can we have this model do this or, you know, maybe a little different. Kind of just talk about that over to the audience four months time to where you're at today. (laughs) Well, I think it's a great question. So I'll maybe give you a little bit of a longer answer than you wanted because it kind of if you're, you know, as a manufacturer now, it was fun to kind of see where we started and where we are now. Mm-hmm. The really where it happened was is we said, okay, we need hand sanitizer stations for our events when they come back. So we did what everyone did. Okay. Went on to Google and we searched for hand sanitizer stands. Okay. We couldn't find one that was available. So there was no hand sanitizer stands. There was no dispensers. The only thing we could find was a manual push sanitizer dispenser. That was the only thing I could get my hands on. Wow. Right. And at that time, back in March, everyone kind of thought events were going to come back in a month or two. Right. We didn't know it was going to be this extended of a period. So what I did is I went with one of my partners who runs a shop called Reliable Designs, who's an incredible company. They built all of our staging equipment, staging trusts for our previous company. I said, hey, Matt, here's a drawing of what I would do for a hand sanitizer station it would need to be between 40 and 60 pounds to accommodate this push dispenser because that's the only thing I could find was a push dispenser. Okay. So we prototyped it, we put it in the CAD, we figured out, okay, let's try this. We tried one prototype, didn't, wasn't very good. We made adjustments and this is all like his business stopped as well, right? So our, we're a vendor together. We work yeah. together on a bunch of different things. He didn't have anything else to do as well. So the, what sped up the prototype process is we'd put it into, we'd do the drawings, his guys would cut it, weld it, put it together. We would be there doing that at, on the same day. So we were able to make adjustments really quickly. So I, I want to stop you right there then. So in this first process then, from concept to just going through the prototype, are we talking days, weeks? From yeah, March? we're talking like I drew it. He made it the next day. I drove over there and we that was it. Like he made it in one day. Amazing. So once we had it, we made adjustments. I got the dispenser, that, the only dispenser that we could find. And then I would say the next, it took about 10 days okay. of going like, this one's too heavy. This isn't going to work. You know, where are we going to get the pieces for this? Where are we going to get the supply of the aluminum? And so where we landed on our first stand, which back then we called it the standard stand. Okay. It's a 53 pound steel base plate that has, you know, the machine drills the hole in it. And then we have an aluminum two by two inch square tube with a quarter inch aluminum plate that has the branding. And then they just tack welded on the back and then it has a cap that goes on the top. And so we were like, Hey, this is it. Like, this is what we're going to start with. This is our first stand. 
And then so from, yeah, March 13th, really about two weeks later, we had a product where it's like, okay, now that we have this product manufactured, how many of these can you make? Right. And so right. we started showing that stand around town of like, Hey, is this something you would be interested in? You know, we have this many in stock, which, you know, I just placed an order for like a hundred, just bought a hundred of them. So you could just start making them. And you know, when you're at home, like this is an amazing idea because we couldn't find one. And so we are the suppliers of them. So kind of talk me through then now, again, just a few months later, you have five different models of stand-up stations. Are they specifically designed for industries or what makes each of the five models that you guys now supply? Yeah. So, you know, it's really simple differences. Well, first, the next prototype that we made really in that same week is what we call our deluxe stand. Okay. So on our website shown, it's like on standupstations.com. You can see the one I just mentioned is now called the premium stand. And then we have a deluxe stand. The deluxe stand is really cool. It's a 10 and a half inch square that goes up that's 59 and a half inches tall that has a really nice hard coated PCG wrap that goes around it. That's fully branded, but the interior of it, the base of it is an aluminum structure that has a split base. All that's cut out with his CNC machine. And then they powder coat everything. That's a whole nother process, right? Of like sure. finding everything the way you want it. And then finding the right type of powder coat that can withstand the alcohol of the sanitizer, which was a whole nother conversation of like, man, we got to get the right type of powder coat. But yeah, the differences now in the stands is that we have our premium stand, which is the 53 pound base plate that has plates on both sides. So you can brand both sides and have two dispensers. So we have like a single side and a double side. And then we have the deluxe stand, which you can do single, double, triple, or quad. So you can put dispensers on all sides if you want to. Okay. But those are, so those are like the different variations of the same products, but we, you know, from a manufacturing standpoint, it's technically six different products. So obviously recognizing the demand of, you know, having to sanitize. So I live here in Kalamazoo, Michigan, our global headquarters for Kogane, the company that I work for, we're based in Fremont, California. So no matter where we're at, we sell through distribution, you know, right away, I think of where's our human interaction right now, you eat restaurants, fitness studios. Sports venues, I pray to the Lord that there is football, that this follows through. Or I don't know what I'm going to do. I'll be completely devastated. And then, of course, you've got commercial, right? Because in our world, in manufacturing, people still need things made. So I see the potential of every point of use being a type of customer, you know, for stand-up stations, as well as obviously, you know, even residential environments where there's like community pools, things like that. Yeah. I guess, again, trying to... because. From the manufacturing side, we do so much in supply chain forecasting because you really want to optimize your inventory and, you know, your ability to deliver on time. Where are you guys at in terms of keeping your head above the water to meet this super growth demand that you guys are in? And then is there an industry or a, for our listeners, a best type of customer that you're really looking to partner with from the branding side that can take advantage of, you know, improving human health, maintaining sanitation, but also, you know, getting a lot of, you know, measurable ROI just from getting the turns and and things like that. Can you talk a little bit about maybe for you as of present day, where are you guys at in terms of your ability to deliver? And then what are the type of customers you're really looking to uh, have connect with stand-up stations? Yeah. 
No, that's a great question. You know, I wasn't in this business three months ago, so I right. never thought about inventory and supply chain. And right. you realize like, oh, you're you're making revenue and you're making money, but you have to put all that money into inventory. And I'm like, right. so when do I ever make money? Because right. like, isn't it all just in the warehouse and inventory? <laughs> right. The only way to make money is when you end the business and you sell it all and then say, oh, sorry, we're out. Yeah. And right. I'm like, <laughs> I've asked some smarter people than I am on that. But I think I've had to dive into really understanding how many should I order and what yeah. should we forecast. And to answer your question, it's really difficult right now, right? Because no one knows back in business school, you know, you called it, what is the TAM of this business, right? What's the total addressable market? It's hard to know, right? right? right. It's hard to know, like, we've sold over 20,000 stands to different businesses all over the country, right? Mm -hmm. Well, are we gonna sell 100,000 stands or are we gonna sell a million stands? What is the market, right? We don't know. So what we've done is we've said, okay, we have four months of historical data of how many stands we've sold and how much per week, and so we said, if we're going to be in this business for the next 24 months and we want this to be a long-term thing, then we kind of know our best sellers. We know what to invest in. So we've placed some big orders and we've started manufacturing. And one of our stands, which I didn't mention that we're making here is our economy stand. We call it the standard now. It's a much more lower cost. It's like in the 250 range with the dispenser and with the stand, but it's made here. It has the branding area. We're making a thousand of those a week. And that's right now, that's what the demand is, is that's about how many we're selling. Wow. But that's as many as we can make. We can't make any more than that, just at that price point, unless we invest in a new CNC machine. And for us, it's like, okay, over the next 12 months, a thousand a week is probably a good number. Sure. Uh, to answer your question, we are making decisions on the fly. Yeah. Uh, There's not a lot of like, I mean, we're, we're analyzing the data and we're making the best decisions that we can with the information that we have. Another big part of this is that we want to be able to deliver bigger orders. So like we had a school district yesterday that said, hey, can you do 446 stands? Well, because we made an inventory decision, you know, three weeks ago to buy a bunch more stands, we have it in stock, we can deliver it, you know, put it on our shelves. So yeah. I think for now it's, we're definitely betting big on inventory, right? Because we know it'll sell. It's just a matter of when and for what price. Now, you know, because the, the thing that comes to my mind, right, is you're going to have potential because people want to implement them and they want to have branding. You know, I think of like, you know, some of these major fitness franchisees. Yeah. They say, hey, we've got 30 locations. We want them in all the areas. There's another part of your demand that you can't forecast, which is scary because we're waiting for these laws to come. But there's a little thing called OSHA. So yeah. what happens if all the manufacturing here in North America requires that there needs to be 250 stations every 10,000 square foot manufacturing facility? These are the challenges that are just oh, coming yeah. to you guys. And that's why, like I was. <laughs> the other big challenge with forecasting, right, is people are guessing on what they need yeah. right now, but they haven't opened to know, did we get enough or did we get too much? Right. But there's going to be a, right now we're in this initial wave of like people that are being proactive and they're being smart and they're saying, hey, I need to protect my employees. I need to protect consumers that come into my place of business. We need to get hand sanitizer stands. But what's going to happen is when the yogurt shop opens up in North Carolina that we sold one to, if they're like, oh, we need two more of these. Yeah. So that, when is that wave of orders going to come through, right? And from a manufacturing perspective, it's hard for us to know, but I think we're long on this, right? Yeah. So we know we'll sell it. 
it's just like, obviously from a manufacturing standpoint too, I'm always in the position of like, well, if I buy 10,000, I can get a better deal, right? Sure. With when I'm working with my partners, I can say, Hey, instead of ordering a thousand every other week, let's place a bigger order. And that's where as a business owner, it's always difficult because you don't want to be sitting with a warehouse full of stuff because everyone's bought what they need. <laughs> sure. Well, and you know, and the other question that I have too is obviously your IP protection, right? So you guys from concept to, you know, production, and I'm sure we don't need to get into it, but you've gone through the due diligence of, you know, protecting your IP. But then comes the challenge of, like you said, your best buddy was there for you. You guys worked 24 hours a day. Within a week, you got the concept to fruition. You know, now the challenge comes with, so in our world too of manufacturing, I don't care if it's, you know, medical device or, you know, food, uh, CPG packaging, a lot of times in manufacturing, when operations are here in the States, you're limited by the machining capacity. So, you know, at Kogane, it's a Japanese you know company, very, very big on miniaturization because why? If you can reduce the processing speed and length, you can increase your throughput, you know, more yeah. production. So then comes the challenge of there's an emergence right now, coast to coast, and I see it at all the trade shows before COVID, of course of contract manufacturers that say, hey, you give us the drawing, we can be your, you know, contracted outsourced partner to help you with demand. And I got to believe, again, you got to be sensitive to the guy that was there for you from the beginning yeah. to say, look, if you're already at 100%, are you okay with us going out? Because we've got some major players contacting us, we'll work something out. But I mean, are you starting to look at that as well versus investing and in buying the machinery locally? to start partnering with contract manufacturers to help meet your demand. Yeah. Well, it's funny. Like I said, I didn't know anything about your industry three months ago, but now <laughs> I get a lot of contract manufacturers yeah. reaching out to me on LinkedIn sure. through email saying like, Hey, I see what you're doing. You know, let us know. We yeah. can help you meet the demand if you need more bandwidth. Yeah. I think for now we're in a good space in terms of because I've gotten out ahead of it, yeah. my current manufacturer can handle it. Perfect. But you're right. If we got a big order, I think for us, it's more just, it's a bandwidth thing right now. Mm -hmm. Like for me to find a new manufacturer, go to their facility, write the agreements, figure it all out. You know, it's a couple week period. And so for now, we're in a great spot where it's like the demand is so high. I'm able to fill it with my current supplier. It's not worth the time it takes to do that bandwidth, right? But we're going to do it. It's just a matter of when and like, we want to have a lot of options to scale up and scale down. Sure. Because yeah, my current supplier, current manufacturer that I'm partnered with, he can only make so much without mm -hmm. having to make huge capital investment, which is what you're saying. Yep. There's more people that can fill that. Yeah. Now I want to talk, you know, again, more learning in real life, you know, because again, to have you going through what you are, I mean, Kogane has been in business 85 years. So we've got things figured out in terms of forecasting, year-over-year uh, -year expectations, you know, anticipating growth, et cetera. When we talk about being a manufacturer here in good old U.S. of A, again, I born and raised Kalamazoo, Michigan, played college football here. I love being an American. I'm very proud to be here. I get in some arguments when I go and work with manufacturers, when they talk about, yeah, you know, we need to reshore and do this. It's like, well, you're not. And so, you know, and the point of my conversation on this point is this. People have criticized me. They're like, oh, well, you work for the Japanese. I'm like, well, first of all, 
This is the U.S. subsidiary. So this is an American company. We're not in yen. We are in USD. We're in Fremont, California. My boss lives in Palo Alto. So we are an American company. However, you know, being in the U.S. of A, we have always prided ourselves when we talk about automation and just like your production, you know, labor, your team, the family, right? Years and years of these companies. And that's why you love an American business. Mm-hmm. Where America has fallen is we years ago, I think we fell in love with the heart of automation. And, you know, grandpa used to build and assemble these, you know, on the factory floor. Well, guess what? During that time, Japan, Asia markets went heavy into automation. You know, we have advanced robotics and I kind of laugh, not a, to insult anybody, but, you know, there's six axis, single arm robots that do some pick and place process. It's very simple in my mind. When I tell people, I'm like, yeah, it's great that you've got 10 Americans here that you're paying their insurance and everything else. But, you know, when you work with other countries, and I haven't mentioned the big one, China, <laughs> but, you know, like for the Japanese, we're very, very heavy in automation. It's not about getting people fired here. It's, hey, you need to learn how to use the HDMI touchscreen to, you know, and then ensure the production rate is meeting for stand-up stations. Can you yeah. talk about, again, your learning curve? Because not only are you a very proud and awesome U.S. manufacturer, but you yeah. also do supply, you know, components that come from overseas. Can you yeah. talk anything a little bit about maybe your analysis in three and a half yeah. months, four months of yeah. U.S. versus China? And is it similar to my view? And is there opportunity or now that, you know, again, you're the business owner. So how would you yeah. leverage or be able to say, yeah, I want to reshore, but we got to somehow work the numbers because yeah. can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. It's a thing that I think about and talk about a lot is we have a really interesting view on all of this in the market because I've got some really good guys that I work with for Google ads and for Facebook ads. Right. So when you type in hand sanitizer station into Google, we average for the last three months position 1.16. So we're, the first thing that pops up, right? right? So a lot of times we're the first thing people click on and they call us and they ask us questions, right? Yep. So we're able to get all, my guys get 150 phone calls every single day from people wanting to buy the product. Now, they a lot of times they don't buy it from us, right? But we get all the feedback. Yeah. And the feedback we get constantly is, man, it's too expensive. It's too expensive. It's too expensive. People are used to buying imported goods at a lower cost, right? right? So we explain to them, hey, we have some stuff slow boat from China, right? That's less expensive. That's imported that we sell at a lower price point. But let me walk you through, like if you want to buy something that's American made, you know, we're employing people here. This is why it costs more, right? It's a lot of times it falls on deaf ears, right? Like people just want a lower price. So what we've done is we've said, okay, I've gone to my manufacturer. I've said, here's the stand that we get from China. Can you get this at this price point? And then I get the dispenser. No one makes an automatic dispenser that we use with a drip tray. They can't get anywhere close to the price that we buy it from. We buy it from a third party that buys it from China. Yep. Right? You know, our all in cost on that is like less than $30. So it's like if someone, it's impossible for someone in here to make it for 15, 16 bucks. Yeah. Um, but the challenge is, so now we pin that dispenser on our American made stand and we're trying to get the cost of it all to be the same price as the imported stand that comes with the dispenser. Right. So I'm trying to get the cost to be the same. So right now on our website, you can buy the imported economy stand 
for 225 and then our stand is 275 right now both dispensers are the same the stands just made in america the stands you know ours is 275 and then the one made in china is 225 yeah and what we've seen is the 50 dollars difference people want a lot of times they're going to choose the one that's 50 dollars less yeah so for us it's just a constant battle of how do we get it all made here and we've reached out to people, can you make an automatic sanitizer dispenser in America? So I don't have to buy it from China. Yeah. We haven't found it yet, but again, we've only been in the game for three months. Well, but I tell you, you know, I've been in this game for, I don't know, 15 years. And, you know, no matter where you go, I, I'm just, I'm very cautious because again, I'm so thankful to the life that I have here. And I would never want to be anywhere else. I don't complain. It's not even a political stance. But so many companies will talk out of both sides of their mouth when they push made in the U.S. of A. And I'm like, because I know, I'm like you, I know the world. It's like, let me see your bill of material. <laughs> you know, yeah. but it's just, and I think that's the real problem is there are, you know, I'm a part of, um, you know, there's an organization that I think I might have mentioned to your wife that I got lucky through my podcast. I got to meet one of my business mentors. I kind of fanboyed him and was like in awe when I first met him. Uh, Mr. Jeffrey Hazlett, uh, he's the former CMO of Kodak, and he now owns the C-Suite Network. So it's a uh, very, very awesome, I call it a club, but just the amount of C-Suite executives and leaders that you meet, and it's that same message. We all talk about what we want to do, but the same question is to you is like, how the hell, like, how can we get material costs? Like, how can we get the insurance? Like, it's a challenge. So, you know, I just, I applaud you in, you know, staying the course of the world that I know, because it is going to be a challenge, but I think it's something that, you know, why I'm always going to pull and promote you guys is because you are somebody that's trying to do just that. You would love to have everything be made in the U.S. And until you can find partners for all the listeners, the challenge is there. <laughs> Reach yeah, out to stand up stations and see if you can meet you know, the target of where they have to be. And uh, I think the the more we do these things, just like me having this podcast, you know, everybody asks me, you know, why do you do it? I do this podcast for free, but every interview I promo Koganay. So it's free advertising for Koganay. I'm just the host. I don't own it. Jacket Media produces and manages this podcast. But when they approached me after I spoke at a National Association of Manufacturing event, I said, hey, you know, manufacturing to me, it's sexy. We're making the products. Like you've been to people's homes and you've watched the TV show how it's made, right? Yeah. So when I tell people like, yeah, I'm in manufacturing, like, oh, you wear steel toed boots. It's like, no, not always. And I'm working <laughs> usually with design engineers, but they're de developing the innovations of tomorrow, just like stand up stations. You know, six months ago, nobody was thinking about this. Now there's companies like yours, mask manufacturers. Yeah. And to your point, what else is the future? Are we going to have bubbled plastic, you know, all encapsulated uh, sporting? Like, I'm serious and maybe I'm crazy. I don't care if people laugh. I bet if we want to be back in, and for you guys, if you're a Cowboys fan, if we want to be back in the NFL stadiums, somebody, stand-up stations, come up with a glass, like Tesla space helmet, where we're able to keep and ensure no leaks and have to rebreathe our own stank air, but now we could fill the stadium because everyone would have their heads, you know, encapsulized and they couldn't <laughs> spit on anybody. But now, look, if you wear a space helmet, you get to go to the Dallas game. Yeah. Maybe I'm the first to have this idea. I don't own the IP, but I'm yeah, just telling these are the things where it's like, to your point, 
how much further is stand-up stations going to go? And then because like every day, every news article, whether it's, uh, you know, new cases reports out of fear, out of, hey, we got to get back to work. We got to buy a whole slew of these things with stand-up stations. You know, it's really, really tough to look at the future. So, again, things we can't control. We have this disease, this virus, this enemy, as our president has called it. We can't control those things. Just focusing on what you can control, right? Trying to do your best to forecast. You had mentioned, you know, producing at a rate of a thousand units per week. Now, does that vary on the five models? Yeah, it varies okay. on the five models for sure. I mean, we're doing more than a thousand a week with all the models. Okay. Probably just average a thousand stations made a week. Yeah. So if you just talk about then the strategy, you know, in making partnerships with, you know, big franchises or things like that, can you just talk about then, hey, we acknowledge that in some aspects of the future and demand, those are unknown. But where would stand-up stations or who would stand-up stations like to be partnering with, you know, in the weeks and months ahead? I think as far as our partnerships right now, I mean, we want to work with, we have to diversify a little bit. Most of our stuff is sold direct to consumer, direct through our website. It's all direct, right? Okay. Where we want to find good partnerships is to be in the, which again, I didn't know any of this world about wholesaling and saying, okay. There's other people who want to sell our products, right? But I have to give them a price where they can make money, hmm. right? And so I was like, wait, why do you get a wholesale price just by reaching out to me? Why can't you consider? So I think part of it is you realize, okay, well, I have to spend a certain amount on customer service, right? If I'm going to sell straight to the end user, when something doesn't work, they're going to call us. <laughs> and so when we wholesale, it allows us to diversify some more inventory. So to answer your question, we want to partner with some distributors and suppliers on our terms. Mm-hmm. Now, in your world, what I've found is that there's a lot of suppliers and manufacturers and people that have done things a certain way that they're used to. And so when I tell them this is the terms, they say, well, we don't do that. I'm like, great. Well, we don't, we're not going to sell it to you. Mm-hmm. We're not going to have you distribute our products. Just because for us, it doesn't make sense to have different deals with different people at different price points. It's like, if you want to sell our products and distribute it, this is the deal. And this is what we can provide. And we get a lot of no's, right? We get a lot of, well, I can't believe you don't do that. I'm like, well, I can't believe the pandemic happened. Yeah. You know, I think the companies we've seen succeed that have pivoted are the ones who can move fast and change their systems. Sure. So you have a lot of manufacturers and distributors and master distributors and resellers, whatever you want to call it, that are kind of stuck in their ways. And it's like, hey, I had someone yesterday say, well, will you stop selling in that territory online? I'm like, no. And it was just like, the answer is no, you know, we're not going to change what's making us money. If you want to go sell it with your relationships, you can, Mm -hmm. but yeah, I guess we want to partner with people that can help us diversify our inventory so that we don't have it all come back to us from a customer service standpoint, you know, they're staffed up to do that. So you're speaking my language. So, you know, we're a global manufacturer. We sell through distribution. Now all of our distributors have you know, per contract, their own geography. So we have 51 distributors coast to coast in the Americas, both North and South America. Ours are, to your point, uh, very, very old school because manufacturing, man, it's like the same as how we've always done it, as you know. Where we have loosened up, when you talk about responding, we used to have contracts that said, this is your geography. You have to carry X amount, $1,000 inventory at all times. You have to service the product. You have to do this or that or the other. Well, now what we're seeing, because before COVID, you would go into a lobby of, let's say, 
Subaru or Honda or, yeah. you know, and you'd be standing there with donuts and Betty's no longer there. It's a big plasma screen and a phone like from the Matrix. No directory. So if you don't know who you're calling, you're going to stand there all day with donuts. So as distributors now, and, and this is in every industry, and this is very real and timely, whether it's a pneumatic product, robotic component that we make, whether it's the sanitizing stations that are going to be supplied at every manufacturing assembly line, we have the same challenge. We make products. We have a, in Fremont, California, we have a stock center like you. We have our own inventory over, you know, $2 million worth of stock, 512,000 different components. So we've got a little bit more part count, but our distributors, they have our brand. They used to be exclusive. So they tell us, Hey, you gotta, this is our GRV. You can't sign anyone else. However, we can sign on the 12 other brands you compete with because we are like Walmart, meaning yeah. our job is to fill the shelves. It's your job to build the brand. So then it kind of gets in that leveraging push and pull yeah. of like you're saying, it's like, wait a minute, if I'm giving you, you know, 30% off list price, right? Or our, what we say, our minimum advertised price, your 10% or whatever their margin discount is. If I now have to do all the branding, if I have to do all the customer service and you're not going to inventory, what, Why am I doing yeah, that? right. But I don't fault the distributor. I think the reality is there's been an emergence of e-commerce. If I can drop ship somewhere, like if I sell stand-up stations for all of Michigan and you can go to standupstations.com, but I'm going to say, hey, look, he's going to make money in, quote, my territory in the state. Good for him. Yeah. But also, I know a lot of people where I can make some money because of their innovative products. So I don't care. Also, maybe stand-up stations won't care if I am become a distributor for them. But I tell them the truth. I have an online store as well, but I will invest in the X amount of inventory. So I only bring that up to because even though you make a product that is not even close to Kogane, it's called, you know, understanding the evolution of these channels to market. You've got direct. So you can build your own sales staff, but that's a lot of money. That's why distribution works. There's also reps, as I'm sure you've been getting inundated with 150 calls you guys get a day. So it's just, you know, then it's trying to figure out to your point, how do we implement a strategy that's consistent to our, you know, indirect sales channel? So I'm glad that you shared that, you know, for everybody, again, still listening, Stand Up Stations is looking for possible wholesale partners. They have terms that they feel makes sense for them and I applaud them and I agree with them. They've got an amazing product that I think is the biggest demand right now in every sector of manufacturing for every company that makes something, but they are looking to find partners, which I think is great. Is there anything else on the Where's Willie podcast that you want to share just, you know, things that you're looking for? Maybe are you looking at making you know, more stand-up stations. You know, you talked about partnerships. You've talked about your ridiculous growth. Is there anything else, I guess, just going on this week where, you know, after you take the Advil and the headache dies down, anything else that's just going on that you'd want to share with the listeners as far as, you know, things coming up or whatnot? Yeah, I think, first of all, thanks for having me. It's been awesome. It's cool to talk to someone that's been in the world, that's yeah. in manufacturing. It's like, I only talk to people calling me like, can you get the price down lower? Right. <laughs> it's right. like, I think for me, what we're working on is we're trying to secure all of our different supply chain sectors, yeah. right? From dispensers, the sanitizer, 
all the way down to like little cardboard slit that goes into the box that keeps it from moving, right? Like there's all these things that I had no idea about, right? Because like once you manufacture products, like how do you ship it? Oh, wow. The way we designed it is really expensive to ship. So now it, it, all those things. I think what we're working on the next three weeks is shoring up all those supply chain points, making sure that we like those relationships. We like the pricing. We like the vendors and that they're shored up with, a con- with the right contract. Mm-hmm. And then working on what are different things that we can add to our station that consumers would really enjoy. So they can add a wipes holder to it and it just attaches to our current stands, right? So we're, we're prototyping a little holder that holds the wipes. We're prototyping something that will hold gloves, something that will hold masks. Mm-hmm. And then you can buy it as an add-on through our website. It's just like small little things that can fit in the box that are easy. You know, we want to do three or four things really well and have add-ons that attach to those. Mm-hmm. We do not want to get into which we feel like a lot of our competitors are where you go online, you could buy everything. We don't want to do that because I think that's where a lot of mistakes can be made. We want to focus on, we want to make the best hand sanitizer stand with branding option on the market. That's like our goal. And then the way we deliver that is through customer service, which we call our customer success department, where our whole team is just built on, we design it for you. Our designer is amazing at designing all the different graphics. Because people are intimidated. Like, I have a logo. Can you help me with that? And we want to deliver excellence to them and say, hey, barbershop in San Diego, we'll design it for you. We'll ship it to you. Do you have any issues? Call us and we'll fix it. So that's what we're focusing on is by the end of the month, I want to be where we have zero customer service things that we can't resolve, right? Where we are always going to be able to deliver success to our customers. You are a freaking machine. All right, so I want to do one more plug. I'm going to do my close, but I'm going to bring you in after. So as always, I want to thank all of you for tuning in. If you're a first-time listener, I invite you to jump over to the leader of business podcasts, C-Suite Radio, iTunes, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcasts and hit the subscribe button. Don't forget to leave a rating and review of my show so I can work to give you more of what you want to hear in the world of manufacturing, leadership, and everyday life. And again, Stand Up Stations founder, Alex Carroll, his better half. She's the CEO of both the office and the home. So I want to ask you this. So I've been the whole time while you've been talking, I haven't been ignoring you. I mean, I'm a little hyperactive ADD, but your website's incredible. So standupstations.com. You have a great story about, you know, where you are and who you are. Site looks fantastic. You outline again, commercial, residential, retail, salons, restaurants, fitness studios, sports venues, schools, churches, so standupstations.com. Are you guys also available on social media? And then before I tell anybody to go and connect with you on social, you know, are you just looking for, you know, customers and fans or are you looking for, you know, maybe wholesalers to reach out to you or to kind of break up the 150 phone calls to maybe some social contacts? Yeah. How can people contact Standup Stations on social? Yeah, I think through social, you know, we're just at Standup Stations on Facebook and Instagram. You know, Kelsey, my wife, who has a big background in social media, okay. she responds to everything through Instagram. Like she responded to you, she yep. responds to everyone. So it's a great way to diversify us where we're not just inundated with calls and emails through the website. Because a lot of those are more someone placed an order or they want to place an order. If you just want to ask us questions or potentially reach out, LinkedIn is another great way. Okay. Just finding stand-up stations on LinkedIn and sending a message to either, you know, Alice Carroll or Kelsey Carroll. We do a lot of business through LinkedIn and a lot of business through Instagram and Facebook. So that's where you can find us. Yeah. And I think uh, you had said it. I think people are getting rid of phones and I've been telling people in our industry, like my opinion, don't email anybody because when you email somebody, you don't know who they are. 
you like to get on LinkedIn and I think LinkedIn is a great, you know, access because you like to kind of, you know, validate, you know, and vet out who you're partnering with. And LinkedIn is a great site for that. So Stand Up Stations, I want to thank you guys so much for being a guest of the Where's Willie podcast. I hope to stay connected with you because you're a smart guy and your wife is uh, very, very intelligent as well. And I wish you guys continued success. I'm excited to hear more. I'll probably ask you to come back on, you know, if you get a you know phone call from like the Dallas Cowboys or something or something big happens for you guys or Tesla reaches out and says, hey, you know, yeah. we, we need you to be the exclusive supplier to all the gigafactories. If you are in manufacturing and you have a story you want to share and be a guest of the show, the process is simple. Go to wereswilliepodcast.com and request to be a guest of the show or answer my messages that I send to you on social like uh, Stand Up Stations did after I uh, hit them up 4,000 times. All guests are free to the show. We look forward to sharing your story with our listeners. I thank you all so much. So again, Alex Carroll, your wife, StandUpStations.com. Thank you so much for sharing your story on the Where's Willie podcast. Hey, thanks for having us. Appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in to the Where's Willie show. For more information on future shows, Please visit Where'sWillyPodcast.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Where's Willie Podcast and on Twitter at Where's Willie POD. Thank you all so much. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.